I'm Siham Cyrene, and you are here for Better Conversations. One of the things that I also believe in is the power of, of collaboration and, and not, uh, not being afraid of asking for help and being vulnerable and showing that you actually are struggling with something. We all struggle with something. And I think that's really, really important for teams or for employees or colleagues to, to know that it's okay to struggle. It's okay to really ask for help. I mean, that's, that's something that we all should do more often, probably including myself. While we're gifted with speech, conversations, really good conversations, don't happen as much as we'd like. In this podcast, my guest and I deep dive into all the corners of what makes a conversation awkward and uncomfortable, or warming and memorable. My guest today is Lorenzo Espinoza. He works in tech. He's currently Director of Data Operations and Product at Chattermill, a London-based AI startup disrupting the unified customer experience analytics space, which basically means they analyze the feedback from your customers to give you insights that help you improve the experience, service, or product to your customer. Lorenzo has been innovating on products and platforms for companies like Amazon and American Express. He considers himself strategic in his thinking. He enjoys mentoring and we can also add multicultural in his outlook. And from what I can tell so far, he's pretty switched on when it comes to understanding people and motivating teams, which in my experience tells me he's got a high degree of comfort with being open and vulnerable. I love guests like this. He's also an MBA graduate from London Business School. He's Spanish and has lived, worked and studied in the US. He's also a half Ironman finisher in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and has also run two world marathons, one in Chicago and one in Berlin. Let's get inside his head. Lorenzo, welcome. Thank you for the interest, Ihan. It's great to be here. My pleasure. Um, so I'm looking forward to this conversation, but maybe for context, could you share with us um, a little bit about your job, what, what you're doing at the moment? So as you said, I work for a company called Chattermill in London. And uh, basically what we do, we basically extract feedback or unify feedback from all different sources for our customers and understand what customers are saying, how they're feeling about this, if the different brands, and also enable our clients to also understand the interactions with their customers. In my role, I lead a team of 10 people. So I lead the data operations team. So I have that direct line management over these 10 brilliant employees uh, that I consider them one of the best teams in the world. Uh, and in addition to that, I also lead a couple of product initiatives uh, in on which I have uh, interact uh, management responsibilities. So I do have that um, combined direct and indirect uh, management responsibilities uh, inside the company, which makes uh, influencing others uh, 
a bit, a lot more important. Right, for sure. So also for the purpose of context, um, can you can you describe what um, a really good conversation looks like to you? Absolutely. I think for me, when it comes to conversations, when I feel that I have had a good conversation is when I feel that both parties or however many parties are taking part in that conversation can be open, can be honest, can express themselves without any sort of fear of being judged, of being uh, wrong, uh, of being called on or called out if if something they said is is not appropriate. It's just that openness and and that ability to really get your point across without you know having to sort of measure your words and and having to sort of monitor your how you project yourself. All those things to me, a good conversation is one where you can really be open and honest about what you're saying, about what you're feeling, about um, how you're seeing things on your end, so that the other person understands what you're saying and how and, and, and what what you have to communicate and the purpose you're trying to to accomplish with that conversation. Mm. And we'll get into that a lot more because I'd be really interested to understand how you make that happen, what your contribution to that is. Um, so you you but you mentioned earlier you have your own team and then you have um, other people in the organization where you, you need to be able to influence. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So as part of my role, um, I lead a team of, of 10 people. So my role heavily involves uh, or involves heavily um, data and technical pieces and, and coordination and being the intersection of technology and commercial requirements and always having to pivot across those two, um, across those two sec- uh, sections. But at the same time, being always uh, always pivoting between short term and long term, so always having the execution hat on, but also the strategic thinking. So it's almost like you're executing on something, while you're also thinking about how to improve, how to change, how to iterate, how to scale the operations or the product or the initiative or the research that comes from from the AI side of things. So it's always having that that um, sort of multi stage approach. Uh, in everything, in everything I do. So when it comes to leading my my team, I think one one of the key things that uh, that has worked for me and that I think it's it's really important is to to get to know them. When I first joined the company, I spent time getting to know them, trying to understand their motivations, things they wanted to do in their lives, things that they were not enjoying either at the company or they had not enjoyed in the past, things that worked well with managers, for example, or things that really, you know, they just didn't want to happen again, or just simple things, just, you know, how they like to receive feedback. So understanding them first allowed me to basically tailor my approach to each one of them and their progressions. It almost paired that with the company objectives so that, you know, we always row in the same direction. When it comes to the interact, um, management, which is the product set of things, for people who may not be familiar with, with the field of product management, it's nothing else than being the advocate for the customer and having that customer hat on inside the company and being the intersection of business, technology, and sales or commercial. So NUX, user experience. So not having the right responsibility when it comes to data scientists or engineers 
forces me to have to wear a different hat, which is that hat of getting my point across or getting my requirements across my message without the authority that comes with, uh, with that position of responsibility, um, which is something I'll get into later, then there are my views on authority, but it's, it's completely different. The approach is much more of, of a cross-functional approach. You have to understand how the others in other teams work, um, liaise with the, the other team leads, liaise with the customer. It's, it's about getting that cohesive picture or coherent picture about what you all need to do and establish priorities in a nutshell or in a sense, is, is the same thing across those two, sort of these direct responsibility or direct line management responsibility versus interact. But the approach is slightly different, uh, but I do enjoy both. Wearing a different hat, speaking a different language uh, in terms of uh, either visual or tangible or in ways that people can relate, right? Exactly. It's, it's mm. all about understanding what works best for each conversation. No two conversations are the same uh, because of so many different factors uh, that kind of span from just the person you're talking to, but also the situation you're in, uh, in your life, with a company, with a product. So it just, there are so many variables that you have to take several approaches to, to each one of your uh, projects, your interactions. Uh, and that's a huge learning, has been a huge learning for me. It's something that I really, really enjoy. Right. Well, I was going to ask, how do you get all that information from an individual in your team? Do you see it as something that happens and that you learn about the individual over time? Or is it more of a concerted um, initiative or effort on your part? I'd say it's, it's a bit of both. As I mentioned, when I started, I made a deliberate, eff deliberate effort to really get to know them. So... I came up with a set of questions that I, I, I wanted to, to pose. Um, but before I really engaged in that conversation, I mentioned to each one of them what I believed in from a management point of view. So things that I believe in is I'll be there for them if uh, they make a mistake. So I'm always willing to provide that safe space for them to try new things, experiment, but also to really challenge me as well. I like to be challenged. I know I don't know everything by any stretch of the imagination. So always complementing my blind spots with views that they may have. Second, one of the things that I also believe in is the power of, of collaboration and, and not, uh, not being afraid of asking for help and being vulnerable and showing that you actually are struggling with something. We all struggle with something. And I think that's really, really important for teams or for employees or colleagues to, to know that it's okay to struggle. It's okay to really ask for help. I mean, that's, that's something that we all should do more often, probably including myself. Um, and thirdly, it's all about establishing a relationship that also extends uh, in the long run. So it's not just about that conversation. My, that, that initial conversation with my team that I had was great to basically lower that barrier or get us to know each other. But what really, really helped me or is helping me is getting to know them a bit better every single day, know how they are doing on a weekly basis, establishing those bonds, um, charting paths of, pro of progression for them, understanding where they want to go, understanding where they don't want to go. Those things really, really helped me create a high performing team. And uh, I do think that those things are really, really important when it comes to getting employee buy-in, getting 
a team behind an idea, getting, uh, in effect, getting a, a successful business, uh, really growing and growing fast as, as, as Chad Jamil is, is doing. The first thing is, is obviously the team. Uh, it doesn't matter how good your product is. It doesn't matter how big your market uh, is. You need the team. You need a team to to build a product. You need a team to to, to sell your product. You need a team uh, with the right culture to really make things happen. And the only way that that can happen if is you start with the team first and put them first at all times. Wow, I, it feels like you've done my course, Lorenzo. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like uh, you've you've spent a lot of time understanding this space and and. Um, possibly even just have a natural interest in humans in that way? I'd say it's probably, yeah, a combination of both again. Um, I, yeah, I have spent some time, obviously, as part of the MBA, that helped me a lot in terms of the theory and, and the academics. Um, I've read quite a few management books, <laughs> uh, <laughs> more than I'd like to admit. But then, obviously, the theory without practice is 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 you know, it's, it's not useless, but you need to put you need to apply those concepts, right? And the only thing, the only way you can apply those concepts is to actually engage in conversations, uh, is to actually trying to understand people, trying to make yourself understood, iterating on your areas of opportunities, um, which we all have. And again, that's okay <laughs> because we're all we're all humans. So almost like taking that step back and 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 realizing that yeah, like. We're all humans. We're all talking all the time. We should not be afraid of having conversations, be it in the workplace, be it with our families. Um, yeah, it's it's really all about really opening up to others. I I wholeheartedly agree. I think uh, we make a lot. Th- more established companies have a I think a harder problem, but I think also startups potentially fall into the trap of of having um, a certain culture or structure and so on that actually stifles that kind of interaction um, and, and that exchange. So let me ask you this, a little bit putting you on the spot here. Sure. I'm wondering how your practice is going. So what would your team members be saying about you when they when they hear this? Well, that's <laughs> that's a tricky question. Yeah, you're really uh, putting me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, obviously the... The main thing that that I liked and or that I think uh, they would say is that I'm there for them, um, and that is probably one of the main things that, in my opinion, a good manager, a good leader should do. Always have that approach of being available for your team when they need you, and also I think they'd say that I I, I care about the progression, I care about uh, them, that I care about really them as individuals, but also as a team and, and how they, they work together. Again, like to me, that's the second second pillar of, of good management. It's almost like that transformational leadership style um, paired with that servant leadership style, I'm going to call it, um, to make sure that they really have all they need to thrive by themselves. Obviously, management is not about handholding people, and I don't think it should be. It's just about actually the opposite, empowering people to grow and make mistakes uh, and, you know, saying that mistakes are okay. And that's how we all learn. Uh, that's how masters started. So I think that's, that's probably those are the two things that I would like them to say, hopefully. <laughs> well, I'd be very happy with that. Um, if that was, uh, if that was 
the feedback that I got. So um, I, I think, you know, you're talking about emotional connection. You're talking about empowering people to understand themselves better, understand their options, realize they have choice in some of the, in their decisions. Absolutely. Um, and how they respond to situations. Um, and absolutely through, through mistakes is growth. And uh, I, um, I tend to talk about it as experimentation. You've got to experiment and find out what works for you. Um, in whether it's in your conversations or your approach to your interactions with people, because partly it's, it's easier. Um, it's an easier sort of concept than a mistake. Experimentation feels more fun, more, more, uh, less binding um, in terms of what it expects of us. So I'd like to just go back a little bit and learn who do you think has influenced? You, you said you've read a lot of management books, you've done an MBA. Beyond that, who's influenced your style of conversation? I think it's been a, um, I've been heavily influenced by previous managers as well. It's almost like I've tried to borrow from my, my managers in the past what I've really liked, uh, something that I, that I like that they did about me, that they said to me, that they showed me. That's how I've been learning also observing other people's uh, approach, but also understanding what I don't like or wouldn't like someone to say to me or to, to yeah, just to say, say or, or, or approach or, or, you know, just eat uh, the different things that potentially, you know, I just didn't like. But then in addition to that, one of the things back to your point about experimentation that has been my um, my whole career, I guess it's been about experimentation and really figuring things out, uh, coming from a place where I didn't know what the next step in my in my path was going to be. So as you said, I'm, I'm from Spain. I'm uh, from a, I guess, medium-sized town in Spain. Uh, and uh, I, 10 years ago, or even 15 years ago, I could not imagine that I would be speaking with you today uh, about this topic, <laughs> having done the, the, the things that, that I've done. And the way I've done that experimentation has been um, by asking a lot of questions and relying on mentors. And mentorship is, for me, a key piece of good conversations, of um, you know, understanding what's available to you out there understanding what other paths uh, may be open to you in a few years down the line. Basically, what happened to me is that I didn't know what I didn't know. And obviously, that happens to, to all of us. So from moving to the US to finding my first job in the US, a foreign market to me, to progressing inside the companies I worked for in the US, to relocating to the UK and, and getting into getting admitted into London Miss School, to finding my role at Chattermill to be progressing as a, as a, as a leader or as a, as a director within, within Chattermill. That's experimentation all along. And the only way I've been able to learn or know at least how to proceed or what the next step was, was to actually rely on mentors and ask questions. So to me, that's, that's shaped me tremendously, knowing that uh, I could learn from all these people and almost like having this board of mentors that could help me figure out where I was getting stuck, could help me think through the way I was having my conversations, 
the way I was feeling about my conversations, the way I was going to approach a particular crucial conversation, let's say, these people really shaped me. It's almost like the aggregation of all these learnings is what I use on a daily basis. And yeah, it's, it's, and that's my plan uh, for the future as well. And, and I really recommend all the listeners to, to really understand or grasp the power of mentorship. And really, it doesn't have to be very formal, doesn't have to be you know, very official. It just can be someone you trust uh, at work or someone you trust from like a previous colleague, uh, a confidant, let's say, to really express yourself or communicate what you're struggling with. And that person can really help you move to the next step or just ask questions that will help you figure out the next step yourself. Uh, it's just about really, again, communicating. I really love that, uh, the expression you used of a uh, board of mentors, um, like a like any company would have a board of advisors, right? Um, and uh, uh, I think that's um, very wise, um, wise counsel indeed. Um, it's, um, do you think people, are you aware, I'm, I'm interested in your sort of perspective, whether you feel like people understand that or whether people could, you know, there's room for people to actually do a lot more in terms of um, collecting a men, collecting mentors um, to help them with their careers. Do you think that's something that doesn't happen enough? Yeah, I fully agree with that. I think for whatever reason, sometimes it's because we are just not um, confident enough to ask someone to become our mentor because some, sometimes we just don't know or are not familiar with, with the concept of mentorship. Or we just, we never really thought about it. We put our lives, our careers on autopilot um, in a way. And we let sort of life guide us. And I think that's something that mentorship can help us with. Because we need to be, we need to have a purpose with our careers. Um, we need to uh, be proactive. We need to be uh, diligent about the things that we're learning about the next steps we take, uh, about how we approach certain situations. And obviously what I mentioned earlier is that we don't know what we don't know. And if you want to get from A to B, how else can you do it other than um, asking someone who's gone from A to B already, other than you know finding a lot of roadblocks and potentially struggling more than you should. The easiest, in my opinion, the easiest way is like, all right, if I want to go from A to B, why don't I try to network, to connect, to meet someone who's been from A to B or a similar path who can really advise me on how to best get there and also the pitfalls of his or her journey getting from A to B. So yeah, I, I fully agree uh, with, with your statement that there is a lot more to be done in the space of, of mentorship. Obviously, it's a combination of us as individuals being more proactive about finding mentors or potentially becoming more familiar with the concept of mentorship, but also businesses or companies really pushing that concept of, of mentorship inside their organizations uh, and really um, encouraging people to really get out there and expand mm. their horizons. Or making it part of, part of the way things are within their organization. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a great deal of room in that. But I, I, to me, it speaks to conversations that you have. And for you, what I heard you say is, you know, it helped you make some decisions 
or figure out the quickest way of doing things. Can you give us a flavor of what a conversation with one of your mentors sounded like? I mean, in terms of how did you start the conversation? What were your questions to them? What were you trying to resolve? Sure. Um, absolutely. I think that's, that's, that's a great question. One example would be, there was a point uh, in, in, I guess, three years ago where I was trying to, to decide whether I should um, stay in the US, whether I should come back to Europe, whether um, I should get into other fields uh, other than potentially product management or um, pursue a different career. Basically, these, these questions that come up all the time in our uh, in our lives, you know, should I switch careers? What's my next step? How am I thinking mm-hmm. um, about my, you know, my, my next role, my, my next three roles? Who am I going to be in 10 years, in 15 years, in 20 years? And that's something that, that goes through my mind quite a bit, potentially too often. <laughs> like, who am I going to be in 10 years? Uh, what am I going to learn? What is the path for me to get there? And basically the conversation with one of my mentors was very enlightening because he was like, all right, Lorenzo, hold on, stop, just breathe. (laughs) And that alone helped me (laughs) quite a bit because basically his point was that um, when I, when I was pressing myself, when I was trying to tell him, you know, these are the the things that go through my head. These are all the worries that I have. These are the, um, all the different paths that I could take. It's like, how am I going to, how am I going to choose from all this? Like, it's impossible. And I was getting super um, anxious about it in a way. And he was like, just breathe, like, just take a step back and reflect on what you've done, how, what's gotten you here, what's, what's really in you, who you are as a person. And he made me realize by asking these questions, who I was as a person or what my qualities were. And I came to realize that as a person, I had been able to go through a lot of change to switch contexts tremendously from one role to the next, from one country to the other, from one education system to the other, um, from different management styles uh, uh, across managers that I had had until that point. So basically he helped me understand that change had been the only constant in my life. And that that was one of the main strengths that I had as a person that Ambiguity was something that I actually sought and that uh, something that I actually enjoyed in a way, even though it can be, can feel a bit counterintuitive. But just by asking me these questions, he actually didn't say what I had to do. He actually didn't tell, he actually didn't tell me, you actually need to choose this path because A, B, and C. He just asked questions and remained silent for most of the conversation to force me to speak up, to force me to think, to really express my thoughts. Because we all try to be sometimes super structured. We just want to say the right things, but sometimes we just need to, to say, it, say it all out and, 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 and not vent, but really get it all out there and then take what's, what makes sense of it all. Um, and, and that's how I came to that conclusion. And, and from then on, is like, all right, now I know like, then I can take a step back, reflect on what I have done until, until this point. And potentially, yes, I can put a plan together 
based on the things that I've that I've done, and that that also I can ask more targeted questions instead of you know these you know what do I do with my life. So that conversation was particularly useful for me, and the only way I got to that conclusion was because this person had actually experienced the same exact thing 15 years earlier when he was my age. So that's that's my point from uh, about someone who's gone from A to B. It's like that person can definitely advise and put things in perspective for you much better than you can and much faster than you can. Um, and to be honest, most mentors are very, very happy to help and pay it forward because somebody else helped them in the past. And that's what I try to do as well. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, that's a, that's a, a great example of uh, uh, mentorship in action. The, the holding the space, the asking questions, the recognizing your emotions in all of that um, and uh, really getting you to think more deeply and reflect uh, in a useful way, I think can be is incredibly um, helpful um, and moves things forward, right? You're not getting stuck in the discussion. You're not, uh, you're not in a loop and unable to get out of it or make sense of it. So um, fascinating. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Better conversations. We all want to have them at work. Have you ever felt dread about an upcoming chat with a colleague you needed to have or had that sinking feeling when that meeting didn't go as well as you hoped? When we can provide a safe space in conversation, the other person feels able to open up without fear. As leaders, part of helping our team do their job effectively is to motivate and guide our people to deliver on their goals. And when we have successful conversations, we become more influential, encourage deeper collaborations, and foster true connection at work. Did you know it's the number one skill that sets the top leaders apart from the rest? That's why we've created a 12-week online course hosted by executive coach Seherm Sirene, helping you to navigate those tough conversations with skill and compassion. Enroll today at leaderswhocoach.today. Okay, so we've explored your journey so far in terms of the work that you're doing and how you're leading your teams um, and how you're influencing people. I wonder if you could share with us what maybe has been your best and worst conversation. Absolutely. Happy to. So I think, yeah, I'll definitely start with my with my best conversation or conversations, I should say. I think when when I reflect about this and I've 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 done it for a while, I think the best conversations that I've had were with my father, who unfortunately is no longer with us. During his last months, he really, really taught me a lot of good, amazing, I should say, life lessons that I still live by today. The concept of putting the family first at all times, that's something that we tend to forget quite often. Or when I say family, I say loved ones or friends. We tend to forget about it quite often because we are so stressed about work. We just forget about you know, the, the, the things that truly matter. And it was, you know, during these his last months, unfortunately, that he started reflecting about this and we started talking more openly about these sort of crucial aspects of life that we really don't think about. And the realization that 
we have to put things in perspective and really, again, take that step back a lot more often than we do. And, you know, just be happy uh, with, with, with what we have, with the people that love us, uh, the, the things that we've been able to accomplish. Really take stock of all the good things that, that really happened uh, or that are happening to us on, on a weekly or a monthly or, or, or annual basis uh, or during our lives to date. He really taught me uh, quite a few things. And, and what's more important is that for some reason, we started to connect even more. So um, he mentioned uh, things that he had been, or you know, it, thoughts that he had been having um, for a number of years, but he had not disclosed to me for whatever reason. So he, it was not until that time that he made himself vulnerable in a way to me. And I think that was, uh, I felt uh, it was a moment of pride uh, uh, for my father because, you know, he really, you know, in that difficult moment, he really made himself vulnerable. And thanks to that, uh, he taught me all these life lessons and I cherish them to, to, to this date. Uh, and that's something I'll always be thankful for. And, 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 and yeah, my, I guess my, my message here is, is really to avoid something bad happened. It can be obviously, uh, illnesses, it can be anything, but we shouldn't have to wait for something bad to happen for us to take stock of all the good things that we have. And that's something I try to reinforce in all my conversations in, in, in all, um, to my team as well, like, you know, realize that yes, we are trying to, to build a successful business. We're trying to be the best we can be, but at the same time, you know, we just need to enjoy, you know, our family, our friends, uh, our work, anything that we do. Right. And that's something that that's really important to, to realize. And, and one last thing that, or, you know, another big thing that my father told me, uh, or taught me during during those last months is that the importance of always taking the next step, it doesn't matter how hard everything may be or the difficulties you may face, you have to take the next step and there is no way to figure it out. You just have to take that next step and then take the next one and take the next one and take the next one. And that grit, that resilience or seeing that in him, uh, and, and the way he expressed that, uh, during those difficult moments really changed me in a way. So that's why I'd say those were the best conversations I had. Mm. Wow. Very precious, very precious time. Um, and, um, uh, an awareness in, in himself about the priorities for him. Absolutely. Um, and, and as I said, that's something that he taught me, he taught my sister, I'll teach my kids. Uh, I try to teach my team. Um, again, like almost passing on that that lesson uh, is the best way to 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 really make sure that. In our, I'm curious. In our work conversations, do you think we lose sight of that? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I, I yeah, I think that that happens quite a bit because again, we don't want to to make ourselves vulnerable. Obviously. Uh, that is a very deep conversation I just mentioned, and not all of us are comfortable sharing that with mm-hmm. our work colleagues, and that's completely okay, of course. But there are certain levels or certain degrees of of how we c- 
could make ourselves a bit more vulnerable to just ask for help or just say things that are not working or, or be open about issues that we're having. I think sometimes we, we are not um, upfront enough um, because we might, you know, we might, uh, we, we don't want to upset our, our, uh, our manager, let's say, or we don't want to really, really get it wrong. But actually, there is a lot of value in this agreement. And as long as you provide constructive feedback, as long as you attack the problem, not the person, it will always be valuable. And you'll always walk away with something that will make things better just by discussing the problem, discussing what's going on, being open about different angles of or points of view, uh, being open about solutions, and, and again, uh, agreeing to disagreeing. But then once you've reached a solution or a potential next step, just try to get behind that next step, take that next step, get together, iterate, express yourself openly again. Those are the things that, that really make innovation work. You know, that concept of, of, of iteration, of, of continuous learning, of failing fast. And, and almost like the view that failure is, is, as you said, is nothing but experimentation and failure should be actually encourage in a way, uh, you know, the concept of failing fast, um, because that's how we learn. That's how we experiment. That's how we, we inform our decision-making. If we don't have those conversations, we will always have these silos of information, these underlying problems that hinder the growth of organizations by just not communicating. And that's what it all comes down to. Mm. Well, there's, a, there's lots in there that you touched on that I think is really valuable. One of the things that you said there about, you know, having a robust discussion about it. And even if you don't, can't come to an agreement, there has to be a point at which you make a decision. And then all parties having expressed their concerns, that, that uh, due diligence, if you like, um, we then need to get behind the idea that's decided on, even if we don't agree with it 100%. Absolutely. I think that's that's probably one of the core concepts and behind some of the Amazon, for example, take Amazon. That's that's a core uh, value in in the way they approach things. This commitment to, to, to an approach once something has been decided, we're going to all get behind that approach. We've expressed our views. Uh, we may not have consensus, but we've decided that based on what are metrics, data, uh, strategic uh, uh, merits, this path is the best path we can take at this point in time. And we all get behind that path and we grow as one team. And as I said, yes, we can revalidate, we can iterate, we can change it, we can completely you know, scrap, scrap it on the web after all. But yeah, it's, it's something that is important to, to do. Well, and that's only possible when you've got really strong emotional connections between team members who feel comfortable enough to express their point of view. Absolutely. Uh, that takes intentional conversations on the part of team leads and leaders within an organization to be able to make it possible for teams to exchange, have different ideas, but then be able to bring everyone back together. Um, and you know, that's trust and respect and, uh, and a, an ability to move past your own idea or, or your attachment to a particular way of doing something. Right. Absolutely. I think this 
it's almost like it needs to be part of the culture, right? Most companies are defined by what we call values. Our values are just a way of putting all our culture, trying to define a culture in words, uh, always sometimes a bit more successful than others. This is, is actually quite hard to put a put culture in 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 words, but that is that is exactly what successful companies do. They foster that uh, environment to to be open to um, really communicate, to challenge each other, to avoid that sort of group thinking concept, which is just agreeing with with what the next the person sitting right next to you is saying, just uh, so that you are not seen as the one who is who got it wrong, uh, and almost like. Fear, like being afraid of being punished because you might have gotten it wrong. That, if if we take the complete opposite approach, uh, and obviously fostered from the top, that's how people get empowered. That's how people adopt this concept of of growth mindset, which is something I I really really believe in. Uh, which basically says that we are here to learn. We're able to learn anything. We are. Um, we have the capabilities in us to to really learn anything that that we want to 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 do to learn or anything that we want to do is like, you know trying to fight that concept of I'm not good at math therefore I cannot become you know a physicist uh, or I I had never been being good at you know playing football therefore I cannot you know go do something athletic so it's almost like not being constrained by something you have you haven't been able to do in the past or not being able uh, um, uh, to accomplish it's just almost like get rid of all those thoughts which are sort of your inner thoughts and adopt that concept of it's okay to get it on the first time just keep keep at it keep growing keep learning we all started somewhere and that's how we all grow so yeah that's that's why i like growth mindset so much uh, yeah it's um it's where great stuff happens, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we don't know what we don't know. So uh, I've, I've mentioned that quite a few times because I think it's really relevant for the, for the topic of conversations. And, mm. and the only way of, of knowing what we don't know is just talking to people and, and exploring, experimenting and trying things out. Yeah. Possibilities are waiting to be discovered and you're not going to know unless you're in that conversation for sure. So tell me about your worst conversation my worst conversation or conversations is actually conversations i have with myself or i have had with myself and this was uh, this is related to the point i i made earlier uh, about listening or, or not being realistic or not being mindful or self-aware of everything you've done when i felt stressed or or anxious it's been because i've almost like i was telling myself that uh you know potentially i was not good enough or that i had not done anything something perfectly uh, and i was like having that perfectionist approach uh, or that i had to fail at something uh, obviously i've i've tried to improve on this and i must you know make myself vulnerable here as well and and say that I have, I mean, I don't have the solution to this. I still, this still happens to me at times uh, that I, I have to sort of battle my, my inner thoughts. But I think that happens to all of us. Uh, and, and I think we, we do need to, to normalize that and, uh, and I can be okay with it. It's something that, that really takes, uh, takes some time from me to really, again, being more self-aware, like get almost like get outside of my head and say, Hey, slow down. It's okay. Like you don't need to be thinking about 
all these things that are going to happen that may happen, you know, three, four months down the line, or that may not happen at all. So, so one thing that I'm, that I'm trying to practice or trying to, to, to do to improve on this is, is something that I, I use quite often. And I've mentioned this to, to my team and, and, and to my friends is, is the 10, 10, 10 rule. Which is when you're worrying about something or the conversation having in my, in my head with, with myself, uh, or, you know, telling me that I haven't done something well enough or that I should have known better. It's like thinking about that exact thought that you have at that point in time and try to put yourself 10 minutes, 10 months and 10 years from now. Obviously in 10 minutes or 10 days, you potentially remember about that and you'll be okay. Yeah. Well, I actually really messed up or. I actually, you know, this, this, this concept of dwelling on your mistakes too often. But then in 10 months, yeah, you may remember about it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll be, you'll be over it. And then in 10 years, I almost can guarantee that in 90% of the mistakes we make, those will be forgotten and we won't remember anything about them. <laughs> so it's like, you know, what's the point? Uh, and, and really, you know, getting, getting, that long-term view is helps a lot, really. Uh, it really helps to stop worrying about the now and 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 thinking about okay, the things that really matter. So if again, if I, I would advise listeners to to use that 10, 10, 10 rule because it's it's really useful and, and something that is very simple that takes two seconds, it's just a thought, but it really helps. It's a great uh, tip. Um, and, and I guess in the absence of maybe having someone in that moment to talk through, like a mentor or a friend, it's a good way of putting things into perspective, right? And reframing how big a deal it is. Exactly. And as I said, most things that or most problems that we think we have, uh, and I'm not trying to, to reduce the, the severity of some of the problems that we may, have, we may be having, that's not my, my point at all, is that, but with some of the problems that we have, if we truly think about how important they may be in 10 years, some of them will realize that actually are not that important or will not be that important. And, you know, we can move on right there and then. Like that's, that's, that is that thought gone now onto the next one. <laughs> uh, and, and over time you get better at it. And, and that's something that we all need. I think we all need to work on. And, and that's something that allows me to have better conversations with myself. Yeah, for sure. It, it reminds me of just that that sense, you know, the feeling that we have when we're when we're beating ourselves up over something that didn't happen the way we would have liked it to. There's a sting in it, isn't there? There's a a sense of frustration, shame, grief, disappointment, and those are really unhelpful. I mean, they're helpful to an extent if it's something that you don't want to happen again, right? It's a, it's a memory, an emotional memory of something. But being in that headspace is really counterproductive. It can't, you know, we, we can't engage our brain in more helpful thought processes while we're stuck in this sort of self-flagellation of, you know, I did the wrong thing, I made a mistake, I messed up. Yes. And, and, and that happens to all of us on a daily basis, right? right? So that's, that's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting how normal it is to feel that way, but then how uncommon it is to do something about it or to be able to actually, you know, really get, get outside of, of, of your head a bit. And, and, and yeah, as you say, like really have the headspace to, 
to think about potential solutions uh, to the problems that we have, which obviously it, it's, it's what it's all about. Yeah, because it's uncomfortable. It's, uh, it, it's, you know, it's not something you share publicly because you don't want other people to remember exactly. <laughs> that mistake or to remember you as, you know, as that person who did whatever. So, um, yeah, well, I'm sure there's, there's more that we could talk about there. There's a couple of things that you've touched on um, that I wanted. Well, one thing you've touched on and one thing I would like to ask you about one is you mentioned at the very beginning about authority. Um, and I have a question around, you know, having lived in and grown up in Spain, um, lived in the States and now you're in the UK. Do you, what, whether you notice any sort of cultural differences in conversation styles? So which one would you like to tackle first? Um, I kind of start with with the cultural differences and then move on to authority, which is uh, potentially, uh, yeah, why authority sort of is related to cultural differences as well. Um, so yeah, definitely. I think being, like having, having lived abroad and, and having experienced several cultures, I can definitely see differences in, in the way we approach conversations, the way we, uh, we think about conversations and the, and how comfortable we have we are with certain conversations. I think it's it's crucial to be mindful about the differences in cultures when it comes to communication. So for example, in the US, obviously people are very direct and also the, the hierarchy structure is very flat, um, is, is much flatter than in Spain, for example. In Spain, uh, there is a bit more hierarchy and more formal structure or the way you have to talk to or address a VP, a CEO is things are changing, but it used to be that way that it was a bit more formal. So definitely the way conversations work are so different uh, from Spain to 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 the US to the UK. And there is so many uh, so many studies, so many books about this. I'd recommend one in particular that is called the Culture Map. Um, that really helped me understand the way I was feeling or perceiving how others were receiving my communication and why that was. Uh, and obviously, not only in these two countries that I mentioned, but when you travel around, you also understand why people approach other people in the way they do. Because culture is what defines us, right? We, we cannot remove our cultural upbringing from who we are, because that's part of who we are. Um, so therefore, understanding the differences, the nuances, is also another tool in our toolkit to, to be able to have better conversations, to be able to understand each other, to be able to know how to address certain people in certain situations. Because obviously culture is just, is just one piece, but uh, culture defines you know, potentially how open we may be uh, about our personal issues, how open we may be our, our, our you know, I don't know, mental health, uh, those things are in, to an extent defined by culture, but also um, they are closely interrelated to, to the conversations we may have uh, in different settings. So yeah, I, I'd say uh, conversations are heavily, heavily re uh, defined and, and influenced by, by different cultural values or and cultural nuances from, uh, from different geographies in, in the world. Which brings me to to authority um, and authorities is, is an interesting concept and, and something that 
I've I've always been fascinated about or or the concept of of power and authority and and how to lead others with and without authority. Um, and I think one of the uh, one of the things that that really struck me when I was learning more about leadership and and management was the two cons these two concepts, sort of these transactional leadership versus transformational leadership. And transactional leadership just focuses on the now, on that process, on getting something done. Uh, and that's when you tend to use authority a bit more. You know, if you're in a position of power, you're the CEO, you're um, a senior person in a company, you're leading a team. And, and you, you really use your authority. Hey, I want you to do this now. That is potentially like, needed at times. However, we cannot always do that. We cannot bring the hammer down all, all the time. We cannot forget about our team and, and that there are people who are really trying to do their best. And if we approach, if we lead with authority in a bad way all the time, um, that will backfire on us. Maybe, maybe right there and then, but most certainly um, in a few months or, or, or sometime down, down the line. Because people, people respond to, to trust uh, and people respond to, to not being trusted. And uh, always leading with, with authority as in like not trusting people uh, with their work, uh, always hand-holding them, always telling them exactly what they have to do, always uh, avoiding uh, any sort of mistakes or, or, or seeing, you know, pa being punished uh, in, in some sort of way for those mistakes. That fosters uh, an environment where people fear in a way uh, in people. Uh, where people really do not open up, people do not contribute, people do not care about improving things because there's yes, you know, well, if I'm going to be told what to do, what do I care? So let's think about the opposite way of doing things, not the opposite, but an alternative way of, of doing things, which is transformational leadership. Well, yes, you may be in a position of power. However, it's all about how you use that power to change others. When we think about a manager or a person who's touched us, it's because that person has changed us as, a, as an individual or that person has allowed us to really go one step beyond where we thought we might be able to get. And that is the true power of authority, as in like the true, the, the, the true power of being in power is that empowerment uh, and that ability to change people. And that is what's truly, truly fascinating that you can come in, understand motivations, understand goals, provide objectives, establish bonds, and then really create a high performing team by just letting people be themselves. And that's the key here. Like you just let people be themselves. They just, you just let them try things. You just let them really experiment and, and inform, uh, and contribute and and they'll respond because when we're trusted we care more about what we do we really are willing to go above and beyond uh for for our team for our teammates because we all know that we're going the same direction and that to me is is the true the true concept of or you know how authority should be used in my opinion when we think about conversations empowering uh, you know, growing organizations, 
creating better cultures, that concept of empowering your teams or transforming your teams, transforming individuals. To me, that is the really, really fascinating piece about it. Yes, absolutely. I have nothing more to add, <laughs> Lorenzo, to that. That was uh, very um, heartwarming to hear. Um, and I'm completely aligned to your way of thinking on that. It strikes me that there's creativity in that and creativity only can breathe and live where, you know, the environment is conducive to that. Um, just like any biological species, right? There, there's you you can't if you try and control the environment you're going to get very predictable results um that are not the ones that you want mm -hmm. ironically mm -hmm. <laughs> uh you're wanting something different i want to ask you so one of my questions to people is you know what what are you good at in conversation but i think i've got a very <laughs> good grasp of what you're good at in conversation what I want to ask you maybe more uncomfortably is um, what are you not so good at in conversation? Yeah, that's a, another very, very good question. I think what, one of the things that I have a hard time dealing with, one of the aspects is dealing with uh, situations where I cannot be open or fully honest for whatever reason, or people who are purposely not honest about something. Having to establish another layer on top of, of my conversation, on top of my communication is something that, that is, is a bit mentally difficult for me. It is, unfortunately, it is at times needed, but it is also, um, it is also something that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to understand a bit better from, from a, an angle of if we actually need to have a conversation, but we cannot be honest with each other how do we approach that conversation it's it's a really really interesting concept as well for me uh, from a uh, most like theoretical point of view is like how do we actually approach a conversation when we cannot be honest uh, with each other and and that's something that that as i said i'm i'm, I'm trying to improve on but that certainly uh, is something that that doesn't come natural to me which Again, back to my point uh, about growth mindset, uh, even if something does not come natural to, to any of us, we can, we can make progress. Maybe we won't become like the best in the world, but we, we, will, we can certainly become as good as we need to be. So that's, that's how I'm trying to, to approach that weak area of, of mm. my conversations. How do you know that someone is being deceitful? So that's, I guess... It's hard to know, of course. Uh, sometimes you actually don't know or you can know. Um, it's obviously easier if, if you've known that person for, for a bit or you're in a certain situation that obviously fosters that, that idea of, of potentially having to be deceitful. To answer your questions, you actually don't know. Um, and, and that's why probably I tend to default to um, sort of being open and, 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 and really trying to sort of change the situation and, and make the situation better with, with every conversation. But sometimes you just, um, you just know in a way, like one of the things that I, I, I think can do well is, is read people and, and know, um, when they're purposely trying to be deceitful, as you say. Um, but as you say, there is, there is no good way to, to, um, to do it. It's just like, that's why I, I, I tend to err on the side of, of, um, 
you know, being, you know, honest and, and, and transformative in, in my conversations, but it's, it's really, really hard to actually know when, when you can't be honest and, and you can't, um, disclose certain things or, or, or certain aspects or, or, or personal traits, uh, of yourself. Let me make sure I've understood this because there's a, there's a few different aspects to deceit, right? There's, there's, um, knowing or having a feeling that someone isn't being open and transparent with you versus there's some information I have and I can't share that with you. Is it, is it the first scenario that's more, that's, that's more of a challenge to you? I think it's, yeah, definitely the first. Um, so is it the second one uh, when someone can't share something that's only okay and, and it can be in a personal discussion, it can be in a negotiation. I mean, that, that happens. Uh, and that's as part of life. But I guess the first one is when, when, when someone is sort of purposely trying to mislead me or um, lying about something, that's, again, not something that, again, you cannot protect yourself against other than just not engaging in a conversation, which is always an option, of course. But that is hard to really, um, really deal with because, again, like, one of the few tools that you have is like, yeah, I, I actually don't want to talk to you. Well, it, it's fascinating because I think I think what you bring up is is a really difficult one for most of us because I think most of us know when we're being lied to or when there's something not quite yes, right absolutely. at the very least, and um, because our bodies leak, you know, all the signs. We may we may very carefully craft our words and what we say. But um, our body gives us away most of the time. And what I find fascinating about that is that um, anyone who, who does use that as a way of, of being or interacting with people is unaware that people do know <laughs> and are reading the signals correctly. What we might not have is the language to be able to articulate it and say yeah. what's just happened. And the other piece that I find happens for us is we're taken aback, we're surprised, we're, you know, we're a little bit shocked um, because it was not what we were expecting. It didn't meet, you know, our anticipation of it. And so we do, most of us do exactly that is withdraw from the conversation. And it's, it feels counterintuitive to actually yeah. inquire more. Um, and stay with the conversation when you feel like you're being deceived and lied to. Why, why would you do that to me? You know, there's, a, there's so many mixed emotions that go on in that millisecond of, of registering that you've just been yes, lied and, to. Yes, and as you say, body language gives us um, a way. Like, we cannot hide uh, when we're lying, or it's very, very difficult to hide when we're lying. And yeah, it's, it's just, as you say, like, I know you, I know I'm being lied to. It's like, how, how, how do I deal with this? And obviously dealing with those situations is actually very hard because you see, how, what do you do? Do you confront that person? Uh, do you just walk away? Do you excuse yourself? Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's difficult. It's difficult to, to deal with, with those, mm. with those scenarios. And can you come back to it later? I mean, sometimes that's the other piece is we can't, we feel like, well, the moment was past for me to say anything. Um, but that really taints the relationship exactly. from that point on because you feel taken advantage of, you feel, you know, manipulated and so on. And, uh, those are not 
Those are not people <laughs> I certainly want to work with. Yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think, I think the, the challenge there is to stay with it and ask more probing questions um, in, in, and be curious as to why, why is this deception happening rather than take it as a personal affront. That's a great tip. For example, that's something I'll I'll start using more and more. Uh, that's something that I that I try to do. Try to understand what the the core of the situation is, because obviously we all lie for a reason. So, like we we are trying to lie on purpose at least most of the time. So there must be something going on. And and as you say, like asking questions, open-ended questions, is tends to be a a good way of of dealing with that. It's like. And and that's what I what I try to do, try to to understand what the the underlying issue is about that person lying, and then obviously there's always a way a way forward, right? So if 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 that person is willing to disclose or, or be honest about something, then or ask for help, then I'll, I'll be the first uh, to to really jump in and 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 figure things out. But yeah, I guess that that needs to happen, as you say. Like, you just need to 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 ask questions to to peel the onion in a way. Right. Well, you know, most of us, a lot of us, lie. Um, yes, we do it in small ways to protect people, our reputation. It's the bigger lies that are, I think, that are the hardest. You know, you you can understand someone doing it to protect their self-image or mm-hmm. to protect their team or. Um, you you Absolutely. can you can rationalise those. It's when it's when there is an injustice or there's a there's an imbalance um, or there's something unethical or right that become it becomes um, a really tricky tricky space to navigate um, for sure. Um, Lorenzo, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. Um, it's been lovely chatting to you. I've got one final question for you, which is. What would you like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, thanks, Iham. It's, it's been it's been great to have the opportunity to discuss conversations with you. I think if I were to to give listeners one piece of advice, it would be to approach conversations in a way that transform others. As I said, to me, the the core concept of conversation uh, conversations is to understand each other and 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 have the opportunity to really transform someone. And obviously, when I say transform, this can feel like a bit too ambitious, but it's just about just ask someone about what's something, what's what's something that you've always wanted to do that you've you've never done for whatever reason. And try to understand or ask probing questions like, why, why was that? Why why don't you try this? Um, have you thought about this? Like help that person lower that mental barrier that is sitting in between them really doing something they've always wanted to do. And it can be just a baby step. Of course, we cannot go from zero to 100 overnight. But if we just help a person take one step they've always wanted to take, but they've never dared to take, that's a huge win for that person. And it'll go a long way. Um, And I think there are there are very few things that are more rewarding that um, than someone telling you that you've changed them. And, and that's something that conversations allow us to do. So yes, my advice would be try and transform someone. Wonderful. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Better Conversations with me, Siham Cyrene. 
And if you did, leaving me a lovely review and rating on Apple Podcast will help me reach more listeners who want to have better conversations at work and in their private lives. You can check out show notes at betterconversations.co forward slash podcast. If you're a regular subscriber, brilliant, lovely to have you back. And if this is your first time, hit subscribe, leave a review and tell a friend. A screenshot and an Instagram story would be going above and beyond. And I would be very grateful. Please tag me at Siham Sirene, all one word, S-E-H-A-A-M-C-Y-R-E-N-E. And of course, I'll tag you right back. So... What would you like to hear my future guests and I talk about? Or perhaps you would like to be my guest because you've got a strong point of view that you'd like to share or kick about with me on the podcast. Drop me a note, podcast at betterconversations.co. I'd love to hear from you. And if you are a leader who knows you could achieve so much more in your career and be way more influential by having better conversations and stronger relationships, then do consider enrolling for my 12-week online course, Leaders Who Coach. You'll find the curriculum, videos, and a whole load more at leaderswhocoach.today. Thanks for listening. I'm Siham Sirene, and this has been A Better conversation.